So welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Thomas Rasmussen, and uh, I'm excited to have Thomas because he's at the intersection of marketing and finance. And this is a perennial question, typically marketing or sales in general, is how do we connect the value creation elements of pipeline marketing activities and sales, which is seems to be a lot harder on the top line than it is on the bottom line. So I'm, I'm glad to have Thomas. Welcome. Thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, thanks for having me. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, my as you said, my name is Thomas Rasmussen. I, uh, I actually, I'm from Denmark, uh, but I live in uh, Gibraltar, which is uh, a British overseas territory attached to the southern part of Spain. And uh, as you say, yeah, I, uh, the headline of what I do is essentially connecting uh, marketing with finance and the other way around. So kind of helping the CMO uh, answer the questions of the CFO. Uh, and I do this uh, f in a company called Betson Group, which is a, a large European online gambling operator, uh, meaning we, we run a, a portfolio of brands that, uh, that um, operate in the online sports betting and online casino space predominantly across a wide range of uh, jurisdictions. Uh, so... I kind of have two day jobs right now, actually. I, uh, one is to, 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 to look at the uh, marketing investment portfolio, uh, the long-term returns on the bottom line for that, kind of translating uh, my insights from how marketing works in terms of branding and more short-term activation in how do you really translate that into discounted cash flows, uh, net present values and what have you. Uh, custom lifetime value is obviously also uh, a component of that. Um, and our industry is pretty used to these uh, terminology, actually. We have an abundance uh, of data on this. Um, the other thing I do is I do business development in the U.S. Uh, I've been heading this up for a group for a, for a little while now. That's a rapidly developing market. Um, and I've been in this industry for 14 years, I want to say. I joined uh, another major operator in 2006 when I moved down here. I've uh, worked with... Um, Global CRM operations, uh, I, uh, which I ran, I, I ran a regional business unit for the Nordics that had a bit more emphasis on, uh, on customer acquisition. And then as I really wanted to answer this question, like what is it exactly that happens with your marketing spend? Uh, that seemed to be a lot easier to answer when you did CRM. You know, push the uh, button and, and the million emails go out to, you know, uh, a bunch of customers. We see them take promos and uh, bonuses and what have you. And... Uh, then when I started uh, running, uh, going broader than that and, and doing more traditional advertising, as an example, that became a much diff more difficult an uh, you know, question to answer. So I became really curious about, like, how on earth do, does the CMO actually answer the question from the CFO? What happens if I take half of your budget? And then I got into, I ran the function uh, for marketing analytics. I did consumer research. And now, yeah, uh, look back, uh, I, I really kind of connect the, the full spectrum of this. And, uh, and you could, by the way, say your headline is uh, digital disruption, I suppose. And if anything, our whole industry has been the kind of digital disruptor component of the wider gambling sector for a couple of decades, you know, destination resort casinos or lotteries and what have you. So we're, we're kind of the, the digital uh, uh, invader, if you will. <laughs> One of the things I remember from business school, they told us, you know, 50% of marketing spend is wasted. We just don't know which 50%. Uh, that's the old adage, right? And you're, you're trying to un, un, untangle that, that uh, 
and, and figuring out where is marketing attribution relevant and, and where it creates value. So you have sort of a an insight based on your experience of where to look for marketing value. Is, is there a clear line or still a, a, a murky space? It's still kind of a black box that I found really interesting to, to try to understand more. Um, but there's, there's a bunch of really smart people on this. Uh, I follow a lot the work of, uh, you know, Byron Sharp is an upwards one. Uh, you have Peter Field and Les Binet have done fantastic work on this. Uh, I kind of follow their categorization of there's kind of a spectrum of uh, branding to activation that in order to influence purchase behavior in a large amount of people, uh, branding really has something to say. And, 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 and branding is a much less tangible um, activity, meaning there's a, there's a large lack of, 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 of action to, to outcome. They really play together and you have to understand the long term of it. And I would argue, even, even though there are great uh, methods, econometrics, uh, you know, multiple regression analysis, uh, when you have multiple years of data, there are methods to, to kind of weed this out. But I argue you kind of have to be comfortable never really knowing exactly, you know, how many TV ad impressions or how many times did you see the name of a stadium? Uh, how many times did that take for, for you to make that purchase in the end? So all, all the media on this spectrum, they, 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 they play a role, but you need to understand what, what role they exactly play. And so when I'm a bit, uh, again, I'm not anti-digital marketing. It just happens to be that digital advertising is a bit more in the activation spectrum. Um, and as such, it, there's, a, there's a danger that you can become myopic and, you know, you know you, you, you make decisions on what you can measure. So let's say the theoretical situation is that you, you go, wow, it's super cheap. The, the, the customers we, get, we acquire through uh, Google PPC. Uh, so let's, let's put all our uh, advertising budget on that then uh, because we don't really know what the sponsorship did. So that will then eventually mean that you don't really have a demand. You don't really know what happened like, like a year or two later. No one is actually typing in your brand or typing in uh, your, um, what do you call it, um, your category. Uh, so, so the danger is uh, that if you put too much emphasis on this, you, you may be making the, the, the slightly wrong decisions on what you can measure right away and you become quite short-sighted. So it's really about finding the balance is kind of my overall point. And, and uh, you know, no one needs to sell the stuff that everyone can measure. So, so sometimes I'm, I'm kind of dialing the other way. Well, you know, don't forget the other stuff. It actually does something as well. And then there are various ways you can kind of get into how do you estimate, uh, you know, how many eyeballs do you know that it sees and so that, 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 that is, these ads are exposed to and, and so on and so forth. Um, so my, my viewpoint is that you, you, uh, you should definitely take your, your digital um, uh, advertising activities very seriously. You have to optimize them and, you know, get on it. Maybe don't overcomplicate it and, and don't get sucked into uh, to too much fashion. Uh, and don't forget that some of the old stuff actually still plays a role as long as anyone is, is looking at it. So partially what you're saying is because uh, digital is easy to measure. There's a lot of data. People tend to skew towards digital as the answer, whereas it's harder to evaluate some other advertising options are, or, or marketing options could, could yield similar benefits. Is that correct? In, in a sense, yes. Uh, and, and actually, I think that's kind of a wider um, a conversation that, that uh, I think is healthy to have as well is that uh, there's a, I mean, I, I'm in an industry that, uh, that um, has uh, immense amounts of data. That's definitely not our issue. Uh, it's more about finding out what's the right data to look at. 
so I'm kind of putting it a bit over in that bucket that uh, great, you can, you can generate a lot of data, but you actually need quite a lot of experience, uh, organizational experience, uh, to to know what are the right sets of data to look at. And by the way, another thing that I kind of talk a lot about is make sure that you both look at, the, you know, identify which metrics you, you need to look at which frequencies. You know, you do your brand tracking, uh, maybe I would argue you might be, depending on your category, maybe you do that once a year. Uh, you, you check your, your PPC, uh, you know, once a day, whatever it is, uh, you check your set server uptime, you, you better have people on that by the second, uh, at least in our industry, um, because we can definitely count exactly how many dollars we're, 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 um, we're losing every minute we're down. Uh, but, you know, don't look at your brand tracking every minute because that simply doesn't move that fast. Let me ask you a question about the intersection between uh, your role and the finance role. And you, you happen to be at that intersection because that's fascinating to me. So what are the kinds of conversations you have? Or, what's, or how educated do you think, uh, not necessarily in, in your company because you do have this role, but many companies really have these silos between finance and marketing. The CFO and the CMO really don't talk too much. Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of best practices are out there in terms of connecting these these two um, uh, two uh, pillars? At first, actually, I would argue you should start by defining what marketing exactly is. We all know that that, that marketing is 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 pretty much everything that it takes uh, from from you know someone makes a raw innovation in an organization and then it's up to to the strategic marketer and and the various support people in in, uh, in the marketing department to 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 monetize that raw innovation how do you get the cmo to talk to the cfo well i think uh, get together and 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 agree what are your your uh, What's your fiduciary duty uh, to your to your shareholders? You know the CEO should be the tiebreaker in this, right? Um, but what is our purpose? Well, uh, there can be a lot, lots of levels of purpose, but but definitely one of them is uh, uh, shareholder value generation. And so at some point, your investments have to come back. Now, then talk about well, what are your lead indicators for this? Uh, is it the numbers of uh, new customers we got in? Is it uh, how many you're retaining? Uh, is it the, uh, the the forecasted customer lifetime value uh, of your customers? Uh, can you see uh, kind of your customer cohort uh, health? Do you have some some numbers on this? Uh, and, and and maybe justify. And then I'll go back to where does the digital advertising component? Uh, I, I would argue probably a lot of uh, finance people will skew a bit more towards that because they're like, this is very tangible. Uh, we like this, uh, and that's where I would argue the marketers have to to. To, to really make that case for what exactly is it branding does um, and, and how do you plan for it. I mean, nothing is guaranteed in this world, but, but why is it you do what you do? So it used to be that when you couldn't explain what your advertising did, you're like, well, this one is branding. Another thing I talk a lot about is short-termism versus long-termism. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm agnostic on, on both, but you just have to find the balance. You know, what is it you want to achieve now? And, and, and don't think that if, for example, you have a, you get into a massive sponsorship, uh, you, you don't want to measure the performance, you know, the, the, the effectiveness on, of that uh, with short-term metrics uh, because those things tend to need to percolate in, in a lot of brains for a lot longer in order to really achieve their full effect. So, um, yeah, infinite amounts of, uh, uh, infinite amount of really interesting conversations to be had on that, I think. 
what also happened in the crisis, and again, I, I have a very American-centric view, I'd love to hear your perspective, is digital tools were relied on a lot more, not necessarily in marketing, but overall. The commerce tools got, got to the forefront, analytics had a bigger role because nobody really knew what was happening in the market, and they wanted to get better data and better understanding. Are there shifts you're seeing in general in, in, in marketing that, that, that changed during the crisis? And you think these are some, some trends that are staying or some of this could be just temporary displacement? First of all, uh, there's a couple of conversations to be had within that space. But uh, So one is uh, what happens to your marketing budget. Uh, and the other one is um, what is the distribution of those uh, investments uh, on, on, on the various um, uh, communication channels? That there's a skew towards... Uh, digital, in, in, which is kind of natural when, when, when you, if you size down a large marketing budget, you're going a bit towards uh, the, the shorter term wins. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily blame anyone for that. So yeah, I mean, uh, the diff, you know, different sectors uh, had uh, very different um, possibilities and, and, and required actions. I mean, some were an absolute existential crisis. I mean, as, as a restaurant, obviously you wouldn't be advertising. Well, I, I would say obviously you're, you're probably focused on on, on somehow. Uh, staying above, you know, staying afloat. Uh, if you're uh, operating a cruise line, you can apply different strategies, but I doubt that you would be at full speed in terms of your marketing investments uh, for, for a while there, at least early in the year. So yeah, and our, our category was bifurcated a bit because, as I said, we have online sports betting. Sport, the underlying product disappeared for a while with, uh, with, uh, with the leaks uh, naturally shutting down. Uh, but on the other hand, you had the casino, which is a completely... Aside from live casino, is a, is, a, is, a, is still a completely digital product. So uh, two different uh, kind of scenarios there. But uh, so if you're if you're in a very well funded company uh, in this particular crisis uh, and uh, you have no particular cash flow issues, it was actually an interesting opportunity potentially to uh, to uh, to at least maintain your 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 spend budgets or even increase them because in the big picture in the long long run what you see is um, uh, share of market tends to equal share of voice uh, share of voice is a bit more difficult to measure these days with uh, with the vast undergrowth of digital uh, but but in essence you know in order to achieve 10% uh, market share all things being equal uh, same level of creative and so on um, you should aim for 10% uh, uh, share of voice however if you want to grow uh, the uh, the way to go would be to to over index on your share of voice. You know, have fifteen percent share of voice uh, in order to slowly build that. And there are pretty good case stories on that. Obviously, it depends a lot. It's it's almost what do you call it um, game theory, in that uh, it depends a bit on what all the other actors do. But uh, that's kind of the theory around it. So uh, for certain companies, uh, uh, if they have a really well-informed uh, marketing and finance team, it would have been an opportunity to actually increase your spend because not only are other advertising uh, advertisers going off air, you're probably getting more bang for your buck, but uh, odds are probably that your competitors will not be fully comfortable with this strategy. So uh, that can really pay off uh, in terms of getting a kind of brand equity for a, a cut right price. Uh, cut rate price for a uh, for a while, but I mean, obviously, you're betting on a, on a crisis uh, that you don't really know how long it's going to be. So, at this stage, I would say that's a pretty risky one. But uh, 
but that's kind of the range. But probably the norm would be that uh, that you you pull your feelers back a bit and and, and spend and spend a bit less because it's it's a it was a major unknown and it still is to a certain extent. Um, but what the crisis has also been for. Uh, I mean, which company hasn't been impacted, right? Uh, for a lot of us, has been a forced experiment in many ways, and and so I see it both from a, from an organizational perspective, like corporations, uh, but also at a, at a, at a in consumer level. I think it's been a, an opportunity or a forced opportunity to to try new things. So. Uh, in terms of what you're mentioning, uh, various digital ad platforms or new vehicles, uh, it could have been an opportunity for companies to, to try something new there because now there's a reason to do it and kind of move away from the traditional stuff uh, in the same way that uh, this uh, crisis has um, pulled people over towards digital simply because it was a lot more resilient. So as we all know, uh, you know, Amazon obviously uh, was 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 a go-to to in order to get your food through through Whole Foods or whatever it is. Um, you you forced certain consumer segments to try something that they wouldn't have done before, and of course, existing customers dialed up their spe- expenditure. But my my thesis is that once the uh, hopefully everything goes back to more or less norm, normal, uh, I would argue that people are creatures of habit, and 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 they kind of go back to somewhere around where there more or less was, like a little bit more advanced. But my, my point with that is I don't think it's kind of a radical change event. Uh, for certain areas, it might be. Uh, but I think it's a customer acquisition uh, event in certain areas. So let's say, let's say maybe Amazon didn't have as much uh, or uh, penetration in elderly segments uh, as a thesis. Uh, now that kind of conversion hurdle... You know, they were like, I don't know how this works. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, no offense against anyone, but whoever the segment is, we know that there are still some out there that, that never really tried it. And they're like, fine, this actually looks like it could solve my problem now. So so they, they put the effort toward, towards actually opening an account and trying it out. And now they're like, well, that actually kind of, kind of works okay. So that particular customer cohort is probably much more likely to keep going afterwards. And that's a cohort that didn't exist before. Uh, and I think that's probably true as well from, from, from certain B2B companies uh, buying advertising, you know, trying a, a few new uh, things there or maybe realizing they, they, they really need to up their productivity because, you know, bottom line looks pretty shifty for a while. Uh, you know, how much of this can we automate? Um, actually, another industry I, I read about, so way out of my expertise, but, uh, but I thought it was pretty interesting from this perspective, uh, is trade finance, kind of the shadowy industry that most people don't really notice, I guess. But uh, So that's essentially when, uh, you know, a, a factory makes a thousand pairs of shoes uh, in Portugal and uh, they uh, sell them to a, to a retail store in the UK. Uh, they probably have 90 days credit and, and the factory runs a risk on, on that payment to a certain extent. Now, there's a whole industry that specializes in kind of insurance or financing around those. Uh, and that whole thing got ground to a halt because, as you can imagine, uh, it is heavily dependent on paper. Uh, very old-fashioned, the whole thing. Uh, I guess there's never really much of an impetus to to, to change things up much. Uh, as I understand it, uh, this was from an, an Economist article, um, more than – like the average transaction for uh, kind of includes – more than 30 instances of paper that adds up to around 240 copies. All of this being locked in various various offices uh, now that the supply chain shut down. 
Um, and uh, and those really interesting indicators that you know various uh, settlement courts or whatever they are, uh, uh, various instances suddenly move very rapidly to 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 accept accept digital signatures and you know digital um, uh, what do you call, invoices, what have you, all, all the various components. So that was probably like a real accelerator moment where the risk profile of companies changed. Like it's too big risk to send everyone home and decentralize the organization entirely. I mean, yeah, theoretically, it kind of works for some of our tech people, maybe. But now, as it happens, a lot of companies ended up doing that, and 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 so that was a forced experiment. And now we have data on how that how that worked. Uh, you can look back upon. Uh, you have anecdotes on it, um, and uh, so so I think it's not necessarily radical change, but I think it's an, it, it was an accelerator. It's one of the things that the that should concern anyone who does digital advertising is that there's a lot more scope for fraud within uh, within those products. Uh, not at all naming any names, uh, but but the advantage of some of the existing long-standing um, vehicles, you know, like TV, for example, uh, is that delivery is pretty certain. You know pretty much how many people are going to see this. And that's something to really keep an eye on in terms of digital advertising when... Um, uh, you're told a million people saw this. How sure can you really be about that? Uh, and how large a piece of the screen that they see, that they hear the audio, all those things. It becomes really complicated to to, to get into all those things. So, so yeah, asking about digital advertising uh, brings up a lot of uh, conversations. Wow, we covered a lot of ground, Thomas, today. Um, I want to thank you for your time, uh, um, and and there is, uh, I think, uh, hopefully, we share the hope that this is we're going to come out strong, and uh, I do believe uh, that uh, marketing and sales obviously will lead the way out of any crisis, and uh, and some of the tools will be helpful. But I really liked your perspective on connecting uh, the various ways of marketing to the actual value they create and, and, and judging and stack ranking based on that. So thanks for your time today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. 